0: was not in the military my dad was i know several of you here today were in the military but i watched it was you would think i would have paid more attention to more current things but i um growing up i read an awful lot about world war ii specifically world war ii and read a lot about it growing up as a just a little boy and then watching old tv shows you probably watched if you watch those kind of shows combat rat patrol 12 o'clock high all of those world war ii based shows so i watched a lot of those hmm? you just didn't watch those kind of shows but anyway those kind of shows and as i study i'm saying that to say this as i study the word of god and read about spiritual warfare i realize that there's a lot in common with what you see what you read how warfare was fought throughout world war ii a lot of it is very similar to what you read in the bible about spiritual warfare and as you dig deeper into what spiritual warfare is, you see that it's war. And what we are fighting as believers, as Christians, what we are fighting, it is war. Sunday before last, we looked at a passage of scripture that was found in the book of Ephesians, verses 10 and 11. I'll do a real quick review. In those verses, Paul told us that we needed to be prepared to fight some battles as we continue our walk as Christians. More specifically, he said, to be strong in the Lord. We must be strong in the Lord. And there's a reason that he said that, because the strength that we need to walk in victory will never come from within ourselves. The strength that we need to live a victorious life as Christians can only come from the Lord. If we try to fight the battles on our own, we will lose. The devil, who is our enemy, he is relentless. He tempted Jesus himself. He tempted Jesus, God in the flesh. So you can be assured that if he wasn't afraid to come and tempt Jesus Christ, he's not afraid to come and tempt us. The devil has had a lot of practice. His methods have proven to be successful at deceiving people for thousands of years. So Paul lets us know that if we are to fight this fight and win, then we must put on the full armor of God because that is the only way that we can take a stand and make a stand against the devil. To clarify, the word stand, as it's used here, does not mean to stand and do nothing. Paul was using the word stand, as it appears in this passage, as it relates to a military setting, meaning to hold a critical position during a time of enemy attack. It's when you dig in, as I used to watch these shows and and read about accounts of of World War II, how they would dig foxholes. They would actually, literally dig holes in the ground so they could stand where they were. It was the image of a soldier refusing to yield even one inch of ground to an attacking foe. And, And this is not really an image of someone who's on the offensive, but rather it's the picture of a soldier on the defensive, a picture of someone protecting ground that has already been won, knowing that the devil wants to take it away, because that's what we have been given. That's his job. We are called to stand. So we stand. When things get tough, we stand. When you run out of money before you run out a month, as my dad used to say, we stand. When your kids are in trouble and you don't know what to do, we stand. When you've lost your job and the bills keep coming in, Stand. When the doctor gives you a bad report, we stand. When your heart is crushed, when you feel all alone, when you don't know what to do or or where to go, you stand. When the world around us seems to be falling apart, we stand. Because whatever comes against us, we will stand, not on our own, But standing with the full armor of God and standing on promises like the one in 1 John 4 4 that lets us know that greater is he that is in me than the one who is in the world. We stand on the truth of God that tells us that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We stand on the truth of the Word of God that lets us know that the one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world. So, with that, let's go forward. I want to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, the next verse says stand. Stand. There are a couple words in this verse that I, I want us to pay particular attention to. The first word is struggle. The NIV says struggle. The King James Version is tra- translated as wrestle. The other word I want us to pay attention to is the word for. Very important word here. The word struggle and wrestle, as they're used here, both describe hand-to-hand combat. They reference ancient one-on-one battles that took place in Roman arenas. When the combatants met in that field of battle, they were not fighting to win a participation trophy. They weren't even fighting to win a monetary prize or a shiny belt, a cup, or a trophy like modern athletes. This was a serious fight because the contestants knew that they were in a fight to the death. This was the original no-holds-barred fight. And each fighter knew when the fight was over, only one of them would walk away. It wasn't the WWE where the out, outcome was determined before the opponents ever walked into the ring. And when it was over, they go out and get a burger together. And I'm sorry if I ruined the WWE for anybody. Not my intention. No, this was a fight to the death And because it was life and death, the combatants used deception. They used trickery to defeat their opponents. They cheated. They didn't play by the rules. They did whatever it took to win because winning meant living and dying and losing meant dying. It was literally life or death. We can be assured that the devil fights in the exact same way. He doesn't play by the rules. He will cheat. He will do whatever he can do to win because he knows that this too is a fight between life and death. When Paul said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, the word for reminds us why we must wear the armor of God if we are to be successful in the battle of life. Another word that could be used in the place of for is the word because. Let's put that word in there and see, see how that changes the meaning a little bit. With that in mind, Paul was telling us to put on the armor of God because this is not a fight against flesh and blood. Put on the armor of God because this is a serious battle. And put on the full armor of God because this is a life and death fight. Due to the nature of the enemies we face along the way, It will require that we face them in God's power and not on our own strength. Here's what we know. We know that we are in a literal fight for our lives. We know that our enemy will stop at nothing to destroy us, and we know that he will trick, use any trick, any deception, any tactic that he can come up with to bring about our defeat and our destruction. And because of that, we need God's power. Because of that, we need God's help. Because of that, we need God if we hope to stand against the relentless attacks of the enemy. Let's look a bit more closely at our enemy and his identity. First of all, Paul tells us who the enemy isn't. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the implications of that verse are crystal clear and we need to make sure that we understand that and keep that in focus we need to make sure that we understand that our enemy is never another human being never yes people hurt us yes people lie to us and lie about us yes people do mean things people do and say stupid stuff people do wrong but that does not make them our enemy they may be doing the work of the enemy but they are not the enemy they might want to see our destruction but they are still not the enemy. They might hate us. But still they are not the enemy. There may be come there might come a time when we need to keep our distance from them maybe limit our interactions with them but still they are not the enemy. People will never be the enemy. When other humans act against us we have two choices. We can become angry. We can hold a grudge and try to get even. We can forgive them and move on. Those are the only two choices. There is no middle ground, and for the child of God, there is only one choice, and that is forgiveness. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. God knows what they did. And keep in mind, He knows also everything that you did and everything that you have done. And still, in spite of knowing that, he still sent his one and only son to die for your sins. Look at it this way. If we take the the first option and we seek payback or retribution, hold on here because this might come as a shock to you. If we take the option of revenge then we are really no different than the person who has wronged us. If we hate, if we hold grudges, if we grow bitter toward others, we damage our testimony and we dishonor the Lord that we claim to love. But if we forgive the offending party, we're acting like Jesus because that's what he did when he was crucified. He didn't strike back at those who were torturing him. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We act like him because that is what he did when we came to him for salvation as well as every time that we have returned to him for forgiveness, every time since then, that's exactly what he did. He does not hold our past against us. He forgives us and he restores us. And that is the same kind of love and grace that we are to extend to others. So the enemy is never a human being. One of the greatest tricks of the devil is to cause us to focus our attention on other people and what they do or have done to us. He uses them to distract us from our walk with the Lord. I have seen far too many people use that as an excuse to stop serving God well, I'm just not going back to church because someone hurt my feelings. When we take that bait and focus our attention on what people do or have done, we lose sight of who the real enemy is. And more importantly than that, we lose sight of Jesus Christ and the will of God for our lives. When that happens, the enemy wins battles and we are defeated. When we fight one another, Satan simply takes what he wants because we're not in a position to stand against him. When we fight with one another, we give up the high ground of love and grace and action. When we fight with one another, we shed the armor of God, and instead we are choosing to live and walk in the flesh. We won't fight with our brothers and sisters in Christ if we're wearing the whole armor of God. When we fight one another, we tell everyone who sees it that the gospel is a lie because we have claimed that something was changed in us as a result of Calvary, and plainly that just wasn't true. And finally, when we fight one another, we always lose. Satan always wins. So Paul has told us who the enemy isn't. Now let's look at who the enemy is. First of all, let me clarify that Let me clarify that I am not one of those people who sees devils and demons in every cloud or odd-shaped pancake. That's not me. But nonetheless, I will tell you that Satan and his minions are real and they are the real enemy. So rather than get hung up on who these rulers, authorities, powers, this dark world, spiritual force of evil, who, who all those are, what we need to know is that there is a real devil. He hates God, and he is doing everything he can to undermine God's kingdom. He commands a vast army of demonic spirits, and they are actively seeking to destroy, defeat, demolish, and dismantle the kingdom of God. And yes, Satan has power, but he does not have all power. Go back to John 1, 1 John 4.4. 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that Satan is the god of this age or the god of this world. But be assured that even the devil must bow to God, the God of the universe. He can't just do whatever he wants. Satan might have a vast kingdom, but God's kingdom is infinite. Satan is our enemy. I will tell you that he might try to come across as your buddy, but that tactic is and always has been deception. 2 Corinthians 11:14 tells us that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Think about that. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He is out to destroy everything God is and everything God is doing in this world. And one of the ways he does this is by attacking the children of God, even if it means coming to us as one of the good guys, as an angel of light. Regardless of how long we've been saved, it does not make us immune from the attacks of the devil. And let me add this. If we don't stay on guard and keep the whole armor of God on, even if we are saved, the devil can use us to hurt someone else. Just because the devil uses you to hurt someone doesn't mean you're possessed of the devil. I'm not saying that kind of stuff. I'm not saying everybody that gets used by the devil is possessed and we need to have an exorcism or something. That's not, I'm not talking that kind of stuff. I'm saying that there is a time when there are demonic influences that if you're not staying full of the Holy Ghost, if you're not staying prayed up, and you're not staying in the Word of God, there could be demonic influences that can cause you to do and say things that hurt people. You don't have to agree with me, it's okay. Verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the wiles or the schemes of the devil. And as we've already mentioned, that, that phrase refers to deceptive tricks. Satan wants to defeat you and one way. The best way he does that is through deception. I want us to look at a, a few ways that Satan uses deception. This is not an all-inclusive list by any means, but it covers some of the most common deceptions. Before we start, though, let me, let me say this. Satan can quote Scripture better than most folks I know. Now, he twists it out of context, but nonetheless, he can quote it. You say, well, I don't know if I believe you. Stay with me here. If you go to the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, we read that when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness, that Satan tempted him. Jesus fought back. Satan would say, why don't you do this? And Jesus' response was by saying, The scriptures say, and then he would quote a scripture. Have you ever thought about why Jesus did that? He did it because Satan knew scripture. Think about it. If Satan didn't know and believe scripture, Jesus quoting it would have meant nothing to him. Right? Because every time Jesus quoted scripture to Satan, it shut him up which means Satan knew that the Scripture was true, and when Jesus used the Scripture against him, it shut him up and he moved on to something else. didn't stop there. So what did Satan do? The third time he tempted Jesus, he himself quoted Scripture to Jesus. Well, I don't remember reading that. And then let's read it together. Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. The devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. This is the devil talking. For it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. That quote right there is from the book of Psalms. And the devil, Satan, tried to use it against Jesus. And I say that to say this, don't think the devil won't do the same thing to you. That is why it is so important for us to not only hear or read scriptures, we need to know for ourselves what it means. We need to know what it says so that it cannot be used as a weapon against us. If we don't know what the Bible says, if we've never read it enough, we've never studied it enough, we don't come to Bible study enough to hear it explained what it means, then what happens is the devil can use scripture against us and we go, well, it sounds like scripture to me. Yep, it's in the Bible. And yet he has twisted it out of context just like he did with Jesus. Jesus didn't fall for it. Now, let's get back to some of Satan's most common deceptions. Number one, he deceives us by lying about the consequences of our sins. For instance, he will tell you, it's, yeah, it's okay to, to experiment with drugs, but he doesn't tell you about addiction. Or worse, death, that too many times comes along with it. And it's not just drugs, it's, it's a lot of stuff. He does this in any area where sin is involved. So what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... God said in Genesis 2.17, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. But then just a little while later in Genesis 3.4, the serpent, who was the devil, knew what God had said, and still in spite of that, he said this to Eve. He goes, you're not going to die. You will not surely die. That's not what God meant. Come on, go ahead. It's okay. He knew what God had said. He just tried to make her believe that's not what it meant. Number two, he deceives us by casting doubt on the Word of God, causing us to doubt God's goodness. He will tell us that truth is a lie and that lies are truth. He will introduce you to false doctrine. He will cause you to start listening to things that sound good and get you to trust in those good-sounding things to save you, even when God has said otherwise. Once again, that's what he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 5, the devil was telling Eve, okay, maybe God did say that, Eve. I'll give you that. But he only did it because he doesn't want you to become a God like him. He did it to Eve, and it worked. And know this today. Satan will try to make you and I think that God is holding out on us, just as he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Well, the only reason that, that God says don't do that is because he did not want you having fun. Go have some fun. You got your whole life ahead of you. Not really. I just buried a young man a few, two months ago. That was my son's age. He literally drank himself to death. Literally died from alcohol poisoning at 33 years old. I assure you, the devil never told that young man, okay, if you're going to go drink, and you're going to drink that, that much alcohol, keep in mind it's, it's probably going to kill you. No. Think of the fun you'll have. You don't have to worry about your problems. If you drink enough, all your problems go away. You forget about everything. He deceives us by casting doubt on the Word of God, causing us to doubt God's goodness. Thirdly, he deceives us by causing us to think that we can achieve salvation or victory on our own. He will cause you to try to be good enough to be saved. He will cause you to try and earn salvation through good works and self-righteousness. Even after we are saved, he will deceive us into thinking that we no longer need God. He will cause us to think that we can do it on our own. You know what? I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this point. Everything's fine. I mean, look around. I can do this on my own. Obviously, obviously the Bible was wrong. Because look at me, things are not bad. Got a good job, got a nice place to live, got a nice car, got money in my pocket. So, all that hocus pocus um, mumbo jumbo that Pastor David was preaching about, that was just not true. Once again, it's what he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 6. Basically, he said, You see, Eve? This is after she ate of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of. You see, Eve, I told you it was good. And here you stand. You're not dead. I was telling you the truth because I'm your friend. Right? So you're good on your own, and you never needed God in the first place because you're doing just fine. All that stuff that God said, you're going to die. Here you stand. We're talking. You liked it. It was good. The devil is our enemy. He is deceptive. He is smart. He is powerful. And he really is after us, and he really will destroy us if he gets an opportunity. Remember, he had a lot of practice before he got to you and me. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5.8 again. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Too many Christians today picture the devil as not someone to devour them, but rather to poke them with his pitchfork and annoy them. It doesn't say looking for someone to annoy. It says devour. He might do it through annoying you, but that's not his End game. His end game is to destroy you, devour you. So, how do we defeat an enemy like that? Here's how. Ephesians 6 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. That's the answer to that question. And that is the only way that it can be done. No matter how strong we think we are spiritually on our own, we are no match for the devil on our own. We are no match for his demons. But Jesus is, and when we stand in him, we stand in his power, and he will equip us to stand for him. So we need to ask ourselves this. Am I standing in his power? Am I fighting the right enemies? Am I winning or losing in the battles of life? And we need to ask ourselves those questions and be honest. Even though we see a lot of unrest and chaos going on in our society, we still live in a a relatively peaceful part of the world. And because of that, it's easy for us to forget as Christians that we are still a people at war. Not a war against a foreign country, but a war against an enemy that is far more skilled and far more powerful. A war with consequences that reach beyond this life. Ephesians 6.12 lets us know that we have a very powerful and insistent enemy. Paul must have felt that this was really important. So he reminds us once again in verse 13, the same thing, that if we are going to be victorious against the devil, we must fight him in God's power, wearing God's armor. Unfortunately, many believers do not see the need for the armor of God. It's, again, that I'm good on my own. I don't need that. My life is going just fine. I I really don't need that. Because we feel that way, listen to me here. Because we feel that way, we might even rejoice when we experience some small victories here and there. We make it through the month and have a little bit of money left over at the end. So we count that as a spiritual victory. When there is little or no conflict in our lives, we might even think that's a victory as well. Please hear what I'm saying. While those things are important in our day-to-day lives, they are really victories without battles. They are really conflicts without enemies. And I say that because those are moments that are enjoyed by people who aren't even fighting the battles that we're fighting. There are people who are not even Christians who've experienced those same things. People who think those moments in life represent spiritual victory many times are not interested in wearing the armor. Because they don't recognize or won't accept the truth that if they are saved they're at war. This is a spiritual battle that we're in. It is spiritual warfare. While it is important to do so, there is far more to spiritual warfare than just being able to pay our bills on time. There is far more to spiritual warfare than not having any obvious conflict in and around you. Because the truth is, the Bible lets us know that every child of God is at war. And in God's army, there are no deferments, there are no furloughs, and no one is exempted from service. We, as true believers, are at war with Satan and his armies, and we will be until the Lord returns or calls us home to heaven. We need to hear what the Spirit of God says is saying to us in these verses. So when Paul says put on the full armor of God, it really does mean to put on the full armor of God. It doesn't mean we get bonus points by doing it. No. It means that if we want to be victorious, if we want to survive, we will put on the full armor of God. It's not like a video game to where you, you play enough and you get enough points, you get to pick up an extra piece of, of something to shield you or an extra weapon. Bonuses. You hit this many points and you get a bonus. No, we have to have on the whole armor the whole time, the full armor of God. Because what we see here is the image of a soldier being presented with everything we need to wage a battle. The armor is right there laying at their feet. And all they have to do is pick it up and put it on. Everything that they need has been provided. But it must be taken up and used if that soldier expects to fight well and survive the conflict. Victory will not come from within ourselves. It only comes through Christ who gives us strength. If we expect to stand our ground against or withstand the attacks of the enemy, then we must tap into that reserve of power that is greater than ourselves. The phrase day of evil refers to the life we're living right now, not some future day of evil. It's talking about what we're doing right now. There will be no rest in this war. There will be no ceasefire. It is an everyday battle. One day a battle will flow to the next and it will continue until we die or until the Lord comes back. It is possible for the children of God to withstand the devil's attacks, but we will not stand until we have done everything to stand. And that is to take up and put on the full armor of God. Now, let me add this. Just because the devil doesn't show up in a red suit with a pitchfork doesn't mean that he's not seeking to devour you. Just because you don't recognize or even acknowledge the attack doesn't make it not real. Listen to this quote from a man named Josh Wester. If we're completely honest, we probably have all felt this way at some time. Here's what he said. Here is my error. For years I've been assuming the absence of visible demonic activity also guaranteed there was no such activity to speak of. I've been functionally and sometimes literally assuming the devil isn't at work today. Instead of wrestling with the powers and principalities, I was content to chalk all that up to bad luck or human nature or something else. End of quote. Be assured the devil doesn't take a day off. It should be the heart's desire of every believer that we would stand faithfully for the Lord until he calls us home. A couple hundred years ago, when Martin Luther stood accused of heresy for his views on salvation, for preaching that that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, he declared this My conscience is captive to the Word of God, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. Most of us probably know someone who has failed to stand. For whatever reason, they gave in to the schemes of the devil, fell into sin or fell out of fellowship with the Lord, whatever it was. And sadly, it happens all too frequently. I've been around church for a long time. My dad was a pastor for many years, most of my life. And I have seen far too many people who have taught Sunday school, attended church, served the Lord, and even those who have preached the word faithfully for years give up, turn their backs on the Lord, and walk away. That was Paul's fear when he wrote 1 Corinthians 9.27. He said, no, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified for the prize. It was John's fear when he wrote 2 John 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. That should be our fear, too. We do not have to fall away. We do not have to be disqualified. The people in the church do not have to speak of us in the past tense. We can be faithful to the end. We can be like Paul, who at the very end of his way was able to say these words, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say that. Don't you? It is possible. But it is only possible if we fight the war God's way in the armor that he has provided for us to wear. Let me say this again because it bears repeating. The command is to wear and to put on the whole armor of God. A piece or two will not suffice. A piece or two will leave parts of our lives vulnerable to attack. A piece or two of the armor will result in certain defeat. But here's the good news. When we put on the full armor of God, we are guaranteed victory in the war with the devil. I want to be victorious. I don't want to allow anything to come between me and God. Yes, we'll fight battles. Yes, we'll have disappointments. It doesn't change who God is. And yes, we might even make mistakes. But when we do, we get up. We check our armor, and we make sure it's all in place. And we get back into the battle. We stand. We are not guaranteed victory if we turn our back and run. We are guaranteed victory if we put on the full armor of God and stand. And my prayer today is that everyone who is hearing my voice today would examine their life. And as we go through these next several weeks of the different parts of the armor, that it would remind us that we need this armor. We cannot fight these battles on our own. Would you stand this morning? If you are here today and you need prayer this altar is open we will pray for you if you need to pray again this altar is open if you need to just come and want to take a moment to to ask God to help you just check your life check your armor make sure that your resolve is what it should be in this fight this altar is open If you don't want to come here as we sing, would you just worship the Lord today and speak to Him and ask Him to help you to remain faithful and to continue to fight the fight. But if you'd like to come, would you come as we sing?